Well, our way of celebrating Easter today uh, in this online setting is that we have um, compiled a number of uh, really, really uh, rich personal stories from people in our community that all in some way capture the Jesus pattern of resurrection after death, renewal after loss, new life after rebirth, capture these, these paradoxes uh, that, that shouldn't go together, but do as are present there in the, in the prayer that Dee has us reading. So we all together are experiencing right now a death, a loss, a suffering. We are all facing global pandemics. So certainly this, uh, this, this pattern is, is important to consider. And no doubt many of us feel never far away from our own individual losses and deaths and sufferings. And perhaps those are exasperated by the pandemic or perhaps not, they're just there in our lives anyway. But these experiences, both collective and individual or individual can bury us. They can ruin us, they can crush us, or they can become by paradox, a valley of vision for us. They can be a place where we can find that, that sorrow and joy live next to each other in the human heart, which sounds crazy, but it feels true when we experience it to be true. They, we can find that this can be a place that transforms us into all we're meant to be. And we can find that this is a place where we meet Jesus, the God of resurrection after death, renewal after loss, redemption after suffering. That is the thing that makes Jesus so unique. And this is the story of Easter. So every time this paradoxical pattern plays out, in our world or in our lives, like the stories that we're about to hear, the invitation is to stand up and take notice. And so I, I suppose that's what I'll leave us with for this week as we listen to these stories is stand up and take notice when we see this pattern play out. There is Jesus at work. There is Jesus at work because this pattern is what life is meant to run on. It is, it is the pattern of our seasons of fall and winter uh, leading to spring and summer, right? Like it's built in, it is the, it's the pattern of our own biology. This is how muscle is built. We tear down old and build up new. This is the pattern of how lives move forward. And so we have some stories for us today. And my prayer is that for those of us who need inspiration today, I pray that these would serve you well for that purpose. And for those of us who feel excited as we hear these stories, I pray that this would give you permission to celebrate even in this grave time. We sometimes need permission right now to celebrate. And so if, that, it's that, if that's where this is taking you, may you have permission. For those of us who feel really far away from joy, I know that that's many of us, I pray that these would encourage you and not hit you as trite. For those who have been stressed, so stressed financially or with work or whatever by this whole season that considering the larger feelings in you is a luxury you haven't felt, I pray that these stories would give you the space to actually find that. And for all of us, may these stories give us perspective. May they pull us out of ourselves to consider and show love to and attention to the stories of other people. And may these stories help us more readily see Jesus at work. So, we're going to uh, begin uh, hearing some of our stories. I think we have eight stories uh, for us today. And so uh, I'll introduce each one and we'll move uh, through them. Uh, as we read, as we have uh, uh, stories being shared, we would like to encourage you to use the chats in the comments section if there is some sort of story that captures this pattern of resurrection after death, renewal after loss that you uh, weren't able to share, but you would like to share, please do so in the comments or the chats. Or if there's just something that you are feeling thankful for today and you, you're connected to that idea of like, I kind of need permission to be 
grateful and celebratory today because of the graveness of our world, please, you have permission, use our chat and our comment section. And these are just, man, our, our church is so friendly and wonderful. And I promise there will be people who will, who will be like, yes, thank you for saying that. I feel that too. And you're awesome. And never anything that's going to tear you down. And so take this chats and comment section uh, as an opportunity for you as we read. Okay. With our first story, Kyle will be our reader. Barbie writes, due to COVID financial repercussions across our whole department, we were all laid off and shocked. However, I have experienced the rebirth of spring and allowing myself to be a full-time mother for my two and one-year-old. It has been such a blessing to laugh and put my value in things that matter. It's not always easy to adapt uh, to change in such sort notice. And it doesn't always take anxiety away, but I can choose to focus on what we have and what matters right now. Thank you, Barbie, for that story. Let me uh, invite Erin uh, to share next. Erin. Hi. Um, so almost 10 years ago now, I started facing the fact that my worst fear was coming true. I was about to lose my first teaching job, a job I loved, as difficult and challenging as it was. Each year was kind of a guessing game if we would have a job the next year, but this particular year, the writing was on the wall and it was there early in November. Literally, there was a PowerPoint they put up at a staff meeting the day before Thanksgiving break with all the jobs that were being eliminated the next year, and mine was one of them. Things went from bad to worse when the politicians in Wisconsin where I was teaching stripped public education of huge amounts of funding that winter. Music programs across the state, which is my subject, uh, were being cut as schools just didn't have the money for them. So the hopes of me finding a new job in my home state were becoming dismal. To put more pressure on the situation, most of my politically right-leaning family was in favor of these cuts and repeatedly told me I should have never been in public education in the first place. I owned a condo in the city where I taught, a city that was a factory town, where GM, the GM factory had just closed the year prior. By March, I found myself facing the facts that I would be jobless, underwater on my condo, and with little to no family support for my situation, unless I chose to leave my profession, which is the only thing I ever felt called to do in my life. I felt defeated, and I didn't know where to turn. I prayed continuously that God would show me where to go and what to do with my life. Every instinct in me knew that I wanted to keep teaching music, so I clung to that. My sister and I were closer than the rest of my family relationship, so I started to talk to her about it. I had always loved the city of Chicago and started to think about living somewhere other than Wisconsin for the first time in my life. There was so much doubt that I could actually do it, though, that I could live away from family, that I could be good enough to earn a license in another state, or that I could find a better job and find my passion for teaching again. I applied for an Illinois teaching license and started applying for jobs before I even heard back from the state. When I was called for an interview in Glencoe, I had no idea what kind of community it was. I just needed a job. I remember sitting in my car outside the school and praying and saying to God, is this it? Just give up on teaching in an easy desk job somewhere. I feel too exhausted to even do this. Despite my exhaustion, I went into what turned out to be the most reaffirming interview experience I've ever had. My philosophy clearly matched that of the school and the administrators, and we collectively talked about education in a way I had never experienced before. I walked out and thought, that may have just saved my teaching career. 
The next morning, I went into school and received my official layoff notice 15 minutes before I had to start teaching. I cried and so did the students. It was gutting. When that class was over, I went to travel to my next school for the day and I noticed a voicemail. It was Glencoe. The superintendent said, we don't know if you felt as great about that interview as we did, but we'd like to hire you. We have to do a second interview as a formality, but the job is yours if you want it. That day and the next two months were a blur of a roller coaster trying to end my life in Wisconsin and move it to Chicago. All while being in grad school too. It didn't come without its obstacles. I moved in with my sister and commuted three hours a day for the first year. It took me six more years to sell my condo, and even then I had to bring money to the table just to sell it. My job is wonderful, but it's a job, and it still comes with challenges. But whenever I look back at that time in my life, as I remember thinking I was losing everything, it's funny. I was only losing everything because there was so much to be gained. I could not be happier and luckier that this is my story of my journey to living in Chicago and ultimately my journey to BLC. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. All right, I get to pass on the next story and this will be uh, from Jack. So I'm gonna read from his words. One evening, when my older brother was dying of cancer, as I was getting ready to leave the hospital for the night and he was drifting in and out of sleep, I paused to pray for him. I asked that this, that this very night, God would find a way to let him know that he was not alone and also that it was going to be okay. The next morning when I went to see him in a moment when we were alone together, he told me this story. During the night, he was awakened by someone touching his left hand. He assumed that it was a nurse, perhaps taking his vitals. They are constantly waking you up that way. But when he opened his eyes, no one was there. He closed his eyes to go back to sleep. Then he felt someone's hand on his right hand. Again, no one was there. Jack writes, he told me this story plainly, in simple words. He told no one else. I had been praying for him, and he knew what my prayers had been. I acknowledged what he said, but added nothing. Nothing needed to be said. Thank you, Jack. All right, Kyle, we'll take our next story. Ben shares with us, writing, I experience mini renewal and a lot of little things. Finding ripe fruit on sale or successfully ripening cantaloupe, peaches, or plums at home and cutting and eating it before it gets overripe. Hanging by my arms and letting gravity pop a bunch of my vertebrae. Riding my bike for the first time each spring. Getting the ingredients and sequence just right so that my smoothie on a warm day has the perfect flavor, texture, and body. These things make me feel victorious. Mm. Thank you, Ben. And thanks, Kyle, for reading. <clears throat> okay, our next story uh, was passed on anonymously. So uh, we're grateful for this story. I was having a really hard time after the worst breakup 
I've ever been through. I was nannying a two-year-old just days after it had happened, trying to keep it together for the sake of my job and the kids. Close to snack time, she approached me and asked what I had, pointing at my hands. I figured she was asking because she thought I was holding food she would want. I opened my hands to show her, saying, I don't have anything. She took my hands, put them on her own head, giggled, and looked up at me. You have me, she said. What a wonderful story. Thank you. All right, for our next one, I am going to share an audio file. This, is, this was recorded for us. So let me, let me play it for us here. It's uncontrollably. Many years ago, we buried one of our daughters. When Sarah died, a great chunk was ripped out of my heart and I hemorrhaged uncontrollably. At some point, this white hot heat of grieving began to morph and I instead sunk deep down into a dark and very, very cold place. I felt that I was simply dead, a walking dead person. This state lasted for five years. Then God arranged an intervention for me, a handful of sisters and brothers who came together to pray for me. They prayed for half an hour, a mere half an hour. And at the end of that half hour, through a series of visions that God brought to me, I found that I was a resurrected person. I had felt old beyond reckoning and suddenly I felt younger than my years, full of life and vitality and joy. I knew I was alive again after the years of being in the tomb. And I said, well, God, you've made me alive again. What do you want me to do with this life? And over the course of the following many years, he showed me what he wanted me to do. Redemption flowed like a great river, and I rode on its current through quiet waters and some terrifying rapids, but alive and never again doubting God's presence with me, nor his incomprehensibly great love and power to heal. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much to Carol, to my mother-in-law for that story. And certainly that has been a story that has been on my mind over the past week as we have discussed uh, when bad things happen, what does it mean to have confidence, belief in God? So thank you, Carol, for that story. Well, I have my own story of um, resurrection to share. And, um, and really it, it's not so much my story as it is uh, this church's story. Um, and so I wanted to share just about this new chapter that we have opened as Brownline Church, uh, now an openly LGBTQ inclusive church. So one of the most meaningful pieces of Jesus on the cross that you've no doubt heard Kyle or me speak on before, if you've been with us uh, at this church, 
is that is the way that Jesus on the cross ends the human cycle of blame shifting, of scapegoating other people for the world's problems. The age old story of humanity is the, the powerful of society scapegoating the powerless of society for the problems. And Jesus self-sacrifice blows that up. He blows up that tired, terrible reality. He becomes the victim of the religious elite and of the empire of his day so that the powerless don't have to be that victim. Now today, in the 21st century, uh, the LGBTQ community has been uniquely scapegoated by religious elite of our day uh, for the problems in the world. And so we see Jesus going to the cross for them, uh, becoming the victim so that they don't have to. And we wanna follow Jesus in that. Uh, because as much as that is a death, as much as that means accepting and sacrificing ourselves to the disapproval sometimes, uh, and outright hostility sometimes of the religious elite in our country. Uh, and for us, as, as much as that has meant that we would have to leave some of our treasured heritage behind uh, our affiliation with vineyard churches, if we are with Jesus, then we are willing to make those sacrifices because on the other side of that death is resurrection. And as we have taken this step this year to follow Jesus in this way, uh, from the beginnings of this process in December when it was our pastoral staff and our church board discussing to, to January when it was all of our stakeholders and private conversations and then, and then we had public conversations in February and finally we voted in, in March. As we have walked this, we have experienced that resurrection pattern. I have absolutely experienced and I've seen that in many of the lives and in the experiences of people in our church who've passed, who I'm so grateful have passed on how they're feeling about this. Uh, there's been new energy, there have been new faces, there's been new excitement and vision in our church that we can feel, and it is stronger and more focused, I think, than before. And many of you who have been with us will know that 2019, our, our previous year, was a hard year for this church, and in large part due to chance. We experienced more people move away last summer than we ever have in a season of our church ever, and that was hard. The start of 2020, though, has felt like renewal after that loss. And even as coronavirus has shifted church where we're now all talking like virtually and everything is different and there's so many threats that that could pose to uh, this big step that our community is taking and trying to, uh, to make a difference in Chicago uh, as a result of, even as there's so many threats to that, we can honestly say that we have still seen the energy and the vision sustained, even increased. And so our church's mission and our vision have, has not been buried by this pandemic. If anything, it has galvanized us all the more as we have talked at, at length in our times together online that shelter in place, this new reality for us from a Jesus perspective, it is not a passive thing that we are forced to do. It is an active choice of self-sacrifice for the most vulnerable in our society. And so 2020, yes, we'll, we will always remember as the year of the coronavirus, just like everyone else, right? but we will also remember it in this church as the year that we move to being open and explicit about our inclusion of the LGBTQ community. And in some powerful ways, both of those things, both of those things really speak to the way our church is currently experiencing God bring resurrection after death and renewal after loss. Well, I have, um, I have one last uh, story that I want to pass on uh, that somebody shared some pictures of, and I'm going to try to narrate it as best I can. Uh, so let me share the pictures with you. Are you all seeing a bunny? Okay, great. 
So there's a bunny on the screen. You guys see the bunny? It's pretty, it's cute, right? So this is, uh, this is uh, a story from uh, my friend Mike and his, and his wife, Amy. And uh, Mike and Amy just bought a house. And this past week, they saw a bunny in their backyard. Obviously, it's an Easter bunny, says Mike, because of the week. So uh, he tells me that he runs back inside to get uh, his phone, the, the one with the good camera. Mike explained that he was absolutely offended that his wife would use the phone with the older, less good camera, and so insisted that he go inside and get the new one. But in so doing, he locked them out of their new house. So the redemption uh, in this was that uh, th this was a chance to, even, even in the midst of social distancing, meet their new neighbors, who they said were incredibly kind and like passed over the shelf tools to help them get back inside. So there we are, there's Mike trying to get back inside uh, the, <laughs> without a locksmith. And, uh, and it was just this wonderful experience of like this, this, this uh, dumb experience being renewed. And hey, oh, we actually got to meet our new neighbors when we just moved in. Uh, more redemption, Mike says, was, was by the fact that he and his wife mostly just laughed with each other about this whole experience, rather than it leading to conflict, which anyone who has ever been in a relationship ever before can celebrate with them. <laughs> Finally, one last Jesus element to this um, is that these pictures that you're seeing were the ones taken on the old phone because the new phone pics came out blurry because the Lord humbles the proud. <laughs> All right. So, uh, some wonderful stories to everyone who shared, to everyone who passed on something that was uh, vulnerable and meaningful, to everyone passed on something that was, uh, that was, uh, it is also vulnerable to share something sweet and endearing and sentimental and, 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 and silly. And so we thank you all. We thank you all for these stories. And, uh, and Kyle has prepared uh, a last uh, prayer for us today. So Kyle, let me pass it on to you. Absolutely. You know, I think, as I think about Easter this year, it's a strange, um, it's a strange experience because I think a lot of the parts of Easter that um, I most immediately think of is the kind of being together with lots of other people, the kind of being outside. This this thing that feels very much not um, what's happening this year. And so I was thinking about uh, what's going coming into the space with each other that we get to kind of be with each other in this strange new digital way. And then I was thinking about this current season of my life. And as I was looking through prayers, I was, I was looking at a couple of the Psalms that David wrote, prayers that he wrote while he was hiding out in a cave. Felt like maybe those would be appropriate for us, um, of what he's doing in that space. But then I ultimately felt my uh, attention being drawn back to one of my own personal favorite prayers. It's an old Puritan prayer called the Valley of Vision. And I think the reason why it's resonating so much for me right now is, you know, I was speaking with my, my counselor last week and talking about one of the things that's happened in this pandemic for me is it has kind of stripped away a lot of my own sense of control. And a lot of the things that I'm working on is like growth as a human being is recognizing the control I don't have in life and letting go of the kind of false narratives I have of places I believe I can have control. And that in a strange way, this experience of loss for me, this very difficult season that we're all walking through has kind of been a, a great stripping away 
of this thing that I've been trying to work on for so long. It's almost like brought me to this place of, of real inability to even pretend I have control over things in order for me to begin to let go and build a new sense of self, a new sense of trust that I'm placing in something beyond myself, something that I actually find much more trustworthy. So as I read this prayer, um, particularly for any of us that feel aware of the difficulty of this season, aware of uh, the ways this is uh, bringing struggle and challenge, I think the message of Easter for us is even in the midst of death, there is life. And even in the midst of what we've experienced right now, there is what Jesus has in the resurrecting redemption power. So reading the, the, the great Puritan prayer, the Valley of Vision. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the Valley of Vision, where I live in the depths, but I see thee in heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, that to give is to receive, that the valley is the place of vision. Lord, in the daytime, stars can be seen from deepest wells, deepest wells. And the deeper the wells, the brighter thy stars shine. Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, and thy glory in my valley. Amen. Amen. Amen.